Open your Bibles, if you will, to Second Peter chapter 1, and you follow uh, as we continue in the series called Mortification, and uh, hopefully you'll remember a little bit about that last week. And next week we'll come back, and I can say this, my sermon for next week is prepared. Um, it's, it's finished, but it'll be ready for next week. I'll just take the rest of the week off. You follow as I read, beginning at verse 3 in Second Peter chapter 1. Here we go. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted. That he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Gang, I, I, um, I bet you would agree that, that for most of us, there is this huge gap. I mentioned this last week. This huge gap between what we know and the way we live. Um, you know, you read passages like this. Add knowledge to self-control and steadfastness and godliness. and <laughs> They almost taunt us. Because so very few of us, I think you'll agree, there's not much of this in us. And part of the reason, as I said last week, is for that lack, is that we're, we've defined growth in the Christian church. We've defined it as in, in terms of learning more. If we learn a new fact, if we learn something else, if we get a new insight, yada, yada, then we consider ourselves growing as Christians. Um, but unfortunately, truth divorced from from living, truth divorced from love, the result often is just a ugly Phariseeism. But in terms of what we know and what we're living, there seems to be a huge gap. So all this language down here... Um, Look at verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you don't have those qualities, that means you are ineffective and unfruitful, inconsistent, unproductive. And, and I, I believe that for most of us, that's a real grief. Um, that we... We find ourselves lacking these qualities 
and thus living a certain ineffectiveness and a certain unproductivity. And as I said, a part of the reason is we've, we've, we've defined learning as Christian growth, and that's not true. But a bigger part of the reason, guys, a bigger part of the reason that this is, this is often so untrue of us is something that Peter says in verse 9, and it is profound. Look at what he says. For whoever lacks these qualities, that would be me and a couple of you, just a few of you, I'm sure, But if you lack these qualities, you are so nearsighted that he is blind. Blind to what? Blind to the knowledge that he has been forgiven and that he was cleansed from his former sins. Ladies and gentlemen, ignorance of that. is the larger part of the explanation for our lack of these qualities. In essence, what we are blind to is the great provisions of the gospel for us. Um, the, the, The explanation that he gives, he says, if you lack these qualities, here's the explanation. You're so blind that you have... You no longer remember all of the provisions made for you in the gospel that we love and preach. You know, we we tend to think of the gospel as that story that that explains to us how it is that we might enter into the kingdom of God and and get a ticket to heaven stuck in our pocket and we, we go to heaven. But we forget that that same gospel contains enormous benefits For the living of the Christian life presently. Think about it like this. In fact, this is a part of the unpreparedness. I I was going to have all these nice slides up here. And I wasn't going to tell my wife because you know she hates me to use those slides. But um, I was going to have all these nice slides for you. But I don't have them. But maybe you can think. Gang, before we became Christians. Back in our B.C. days. You know what I'm talking about? What is it that we needed to hear the most? Why? Well, we needed to hear the gospel. Somebody needed to share Jesus Christ with us. Yes, that's exactly true. So now we've stepped inside the household of faith. What is it that we still need to hear now that we are Christians? The gospel. You see, we we tend to use the gospel to uh, uh, create this entrance into the kingdom. And from that point, that's what he says in verse 9. They are blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Let me show you to this. Let me show you the same point another way. Keep your finger there. Well, actually, you can go over to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, um, I think you know this text, but it's verse 15, where Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also, also who are in Rome. Paul says, I can't wait to get to Rome because I want to preach the gospel to you people over there in Rome. Now, to whom is he talking? Well, if you will look with me, um, verse 7. 
to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Do you see that, ladies and gentlemen? Do you see who Paul is excited about preaching the gospel to? That would be Christians. He's excited about preaching the gospel to Christians. Hey, I can't wait to get over there. Because you know what you guys need to hear more of? You need to hear more about the gospel. You need to hear more of its provisions, more of its beauty, more of its profundity. You need to be reminded that your sin has been forgiven. You need to hear the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And look at verse 17. He says, for in it, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Guys, you begin living by faith in the gospel, but you continue living by faith in this gospel. So what I'm saying is, the reason that there's such a disconnect, such a gap in so many of us, in terms of our transformed living, is because we've forgotten the provisions of the gospel. It's the gospel that transforms It's not only the gospel that tells you how you get saved. And I don't mean to make light of that. That's a wonderful thing. But in the Bible belt, it's just... But this same gospel is the thing by which our Christian lives are transformed. Let let me pause. Um, I mean, this is... I mean, I'm not not making this up. But uh, I want to just take you down a little autobiographical path, just for a minute. Um, I've been in the ministry 32 years, and the communion cups have always worked in those 32 years. But um, I've been in the, the professional ministry for 32 years, and in those 32 years, I've been in three places. Uh, I was, I've been here for 16 and a half years. Um, I was at Central Church for six And uh, right out of seminary in 1975, I spent the first 10 years of my ministry in a little place known as Ocala, Florida. In fact, you've heard me mention it before, and one of the, the, the young teenagers that came to know Christ in our youth ministry is here today, sitting right there. Um, but that's where I spent the first 10 years of my ministry, was in Ocala, Florida. It was nine and a half of the best years of my life. Unfortunately, the last six months almost killed me. I mean, it almost, it almost did me in. I wasn't fired. I wasn't asked to leave. I just, I didn't want to fight anymore. I didn't want to fight elders anymore. I don't want to fight. I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. Now, why did you laugh at that? <laughs> I, I am. I'm a, anyway, um, but my, my wife and my little family, we limped out of, uh, my girls never knew what hit them, but, uh, but my wife and I certainly limped out of Ocala, Florida, badly bruised, beaten up people, disillusioned, hurt, scared, gun shy. All of that. 
Well, in the glorious providence of God, I was, I was hired at Central Church, and my job at Central was far less demanding than the one that I had just left. And additionally, uh, I was given an office. My office was up on the third floor. I don't know whether any of you remember that, but I was up on the third floor, and the room that I was given as an office was basically a storage closet. And um, um, if you wanted to come see me, you really had to want to see me. Because, I mean, you had to climb all kinds of stairs and elevators and just to get to where I was. And very honestly, not many people did want to see me. Um, but it was just a little storage closet back in the back, of, uh, in the corner back there. And they turned it into an office for me. And I loved it. And I don't know how this happened. I don't remember why I picked this up. But I picked up, I mean, I began to study Romans 5, 6, and 7, and later, chapter 8. And it was Romans 5, 6, and 7 that put me back together again. And it was in Romans 5. Six and seven, where I discovered how the gospel transforms Christians' lives. So for me, coming back to Romans is like coming home. God used this so wonderfully, but I have an answer, ladies and gentlemen. I'm saying that the thing that you need to hear most is the gospel. And now I want to tell you how it is that the gospel transforms lives. It's not going to be by your little tote in your Bible and memorizing more scripture and making sure that you've got a faithful attendance and, and you know, tithing and witnessing and adding all those things up and then, voila, I'm going to be a mature Christian. It doesn't work that way, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry you've tried it, so if I had it as it worked. For any of us. All that's produced is a self-righteousness and an arrogance that is so dang ugly that we... Oh, I would love to eliminate it. It doesn't work like that and it's not working for us. Because it never was intended to work like that. It's the gospel that transforms our lives. Now, how? All right. Stay with me. Guys, we're in the book of Romans now. So, understand, for the first five chapters of Romans, Paul is giving you the, the most marvelous description and explanation of what it is or how it is a man is saved anywhere in the Bible. His theme in those first five chapters is justification by faith and faith alone. That's it. That's what he does for five chapters. And the primary characteristic of that gospel is that it is to be received, not achieved. Acceptance with God is not based on anything in you or about you at all. The factor is your view of Jesus Christ. That's what he does for five chapters. Inevitably, invariably, predictably, 
the response to that gospel is mentioned in chapter 6, verse 1. Whenever the gospel is preached correctly, people are going to respond like this. They're going to say, Oh, okay, I get what you're saying, Paul. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? People are licking their chops. Hot dog. That means I can live any old way I want to live. All I got to do is accept Jesus, get that over with, get a ticket to heaven stuck in my pocket, and then off I go. Knowing that that would be the possible response to the glorious gospel that he's just described in the first five chapters, Paul then sets out over the next few chapters, five, six, seven, and eight, to outline for us how this gospel, his gospel, that gospel transforms the lives of Christians. That's what these chapters are about, ladies and gentlemen. And we're going to return to them until Labor Day. In one sense, Paul is explaining what Peter meant when he said, in verse 9, if you lack these qualities, it is because you are so nearsighted that you are blind, having forgotten, having forgotten that your sin has been forgiven. Gang, um, in one sense, Paul has explained that gap for us between our knowing and our living. And he's, or Peter explains it in terms of our forgetting the gospel. And Paul is doing the same thing over here in Romans 6. What the gospel is supposed to do, ladies and gentlemen, it's supposed to, number one, it's supposed to allow us to see some things about ourselves clearly. Folks, the gospel allows us to understand the depth of our own depravity, the presence and the power of indwelling sin better than anything else imaginable. Folks, because of this gospel, we for the first time can be honest with ourselves. We're far worse than we ever dreamed. There's a whole lot more ugliness in there than everybody sees on Sunday morning. The appearances don't tell the story. What does tell the story is the gospel. You see, one of the things that we're blind to, that, that's the language Peter uses, one of the things that we're blind to is the depth of our own depravity. How, just how bad sin has ravaged us after the fall. We are far more wicked. You know, I teach my systematics class, and I taught it yesterday, and one of the questions that came up is about uh, somebody saying, you know, basically what I just said, and said, well, gosh, we could, um, we could do some very bad things, too. Do you know that about yourself? You can. You know, the line between the best of us and the worst of us is very, very thin. 
the line between me and Adolf Hitler, very, very thin. One of the things that the gospel allows us to do, guys, is to be honest with our, ourselves over our condition. Look at chapter 6, verse 16. He says in there, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Do you know what Paul just called us? He called us slaves. He didn't call us servants. Servants are people who get, you know, ten bucks an hour. Slaves are property. Slaves are owned. So, why not live any way I want to live? Because that is to give myself to another God. It is to become a slave of sin. But by grace, by this gospel that we preach, that slavery is over. I'm under new management. And it is the radical scope of that new management that has been forgotten by us. Let me say that again. It is the radical scope of that new management that has been forgotten And that's why there's such a gap. Now, guys, I want to show you some of the terms or some of the the terms that Paul uses of this radical new management that Christians are in the midst of. We're still in Romans 6, but go back to the first of the chapter. Look at this, guys. This is is so rich and wonderful and profound. I, I, I... Um, Look at verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Now, guys, the baptized are just the converted. That's just another way of Paul describing the, 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 the Christian folks. He says the Christians have been baptized into Christ. Now, what is it that's true of them? Well, the key word is found in verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his. Folks, we have been, having having become Christians, we have been inserted into the very person of Christ. We are united to his past. That is, we are buried with him in his death. That's what it says in verse 5. And we are also united to him with his future. We shall be certainly united with him in his resurrection. I am united to Christ in his past. I am united to Christ with his future. His past is my past. His future is my future. And, and one more. Look at verse 2. Uh, let's just live any way we want to, verse 1. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Guys, we died. The old doulos, the old bond slave to sin, that was buried with Christ. 
My past is over. My past is buried, including all of that effort I used to make to try to save myself. That's over. Everything that Jesus has done is legally true of me. Everything that he accomplished is legally true of me. Let me try to illustrate. Let's imagine there's a man, and there's probably many of you in this room, that you've, you came out of college with a good education, and you've worked hard all your life. You've climbed the corporate ladder. You've made the right investments. You've made the right moves. You've pulled the right strings. You've done everything that you needed to do. And all of a sudden, now at age 40, you're a very wealthy man. I mean wealthy, wealthy. You are a wealthy man because of all your hard work and effort and excellence and, and abilities, etc. Now at age 40, this wealthy man finds a woman that he falls in love with and marries her. Guess what? She too is now wealthy. But how did she get wealthy? By a simple legal union. Oh, yeah, yeah, he worked his little honey off. But everything that he did has now become mine as a bride. Because of a simple legal union with that wealthy, hardworking guy. Now, what would you think about a woman who then said, well, I'm going to go back over on the wrong side of the tracks and live in poverty again. You'd say, honey, you're insane. Don't you know what is now yours? How could that life be appealing to you anymore? Why, you are in union with the one who has all wealth, all resources, all wisdom to absolutely transform you. Now guys, here's the point, and you're going to hear this from now until Labor Day. The gospel transforms us by explaining who I now am. And then exhorts me to live out of that new identity. That is glorious. The gospel tells me who I now am. And then exhorts me to live out of that new identity of my union with Christ. Guys, that's what he says in in chapter 6. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey your passions. Oh, no, no, no. Don't do that. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to, to nothing. So here's my... Guys, do you know how Paul exhorts the people of God to have their lives transformed? Do you ever see the Apostle Paul saying, now here's what you need to do. 
You need to start studying your Bible an hour a day. You need to, you know, memorize lots of scripture. You need to start tithing. And you need to go to church regularly. Guys, please don't mishear me. I said this last week. None of those things are bad. And you're not going very far without them. But that kind of formulaic living is the reason why there's such a gap between what we know and the way we live. Paul never does that. He simply reminds us who we are and exhorts us to live out of that new identity. My old self is dead. I'm not the same person. Now, I think I told you this story before about uh, St. Augustine, who, uh, you know, Augustine, before he became a Christian, was known for his wild escapades with women. And so one day he's walking in the, the city there in North Africa. I forget which one. But anyway, he's walking in North Africa and, and uh, he runs into one of his old girlfriends. And she tries to all of her old feminine uh, tricks. And, and he pretty much ignores her. And, and he walks right past her. And, and she turns around and she says, Augustine. Thinking that he didn't recognize her. He says, Augustine. It is I. He looks at her and he says, yes, I know. But it is not I. That's dead. I'm in union. With all resources. All wealth, all wisdom, all power. And I don't live like that anymore. You are dead to sin. So treat yourself like that. Yes, I used to be like that, but I'm new. We, we Christians have forgotten, just like Peter said. I mean, it's just such a stroke of genius. I don't know what you are. Uh, he says, uh, if you don't live like this and you're living this ineffective, unfruitful uh, spiritual life, for whoever lacks those qualities is so nearsighted that he's what? Having forgotten. And he was cleansed from his former sins. Why would you live like that? If you know this is true about you. You see, I'm just, and you are too, we're someone else in Jesus. For so many of us, gang, our, our sense of identity, the, the, main, the main way we seek significance is rooted in our performance. It's, it's rooted in our own self-righteousness. It's more rooted in our performance than it is the gospel of grace that is contained in this book. If who I am in Jesus Christ does not shape the way that I live, if who I am in Jesus Christ does not shape the way that I think about myself, the way that I face decisions and crises, then I'll always be living out of some other, some other identity. Which means... That I'm nearsighted. So much so that I'm blind. And now you know. About the gap. Now gang, let me close. But by the way. If I've confused you this morning. Don't stop coming. Because we're going to continue to do this. For eight weeks. I'm just going to find new ways to say it. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this until the dawn begins to break just a little on us. 
But let me say this as we, as we quit. Why is it so hard? Why does it take so long? Why have we made so little progress over so many years? Well, guys, the simple reason is the gospel has not been grasped in all of its beauty. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I am, I'm saying you are. But the, but the beauty of the gospel the, 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 has not yet sunk in and ravaged our souls. It's amazing how long it takes for us to understand the gospel. That's why Paul says, I can't wait to get to Rome, because those people at Rome, they need to hear the gospel all over again. And for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and months and years and years and years. And then they might understand their new identity, that slavery to sin that they had, oh, that's, got, that, that's gone. They live now in union with Jesus Christ. Whole new, whole new life. But they're not living out of that identity. They're living out of this, this attempt on their part to establish their worth by excellent performance, and their performance includes Bible study, prayer, giving, going to church, and witnessing. Guys, those are wonderful things. But they're not going to make you, they're not going to transform your life. You're going to need them. But the way our lives is transformed is by the gospel. Now, let me say again, why is it so hard, and why does it take so long? Guys, um, back on the 17th of June, I, I had been out of town, and um, it, was a, it was a Sunday paper, I think. There was, this, um, there was these pictures of a celebration that was going on in Memphis called Juneteenth. Have you ever heard of that? I don't think I had ever heard of that. Juneteenth. Well, if you're African-American, you know about Juneteenth. And so I started poking around to figure out what Juneteenth celebration. It was a picture of the commercial appeal of people having Juneteenth celebrations. Did y'all not see that? Goodness gracious. Um, anyway, uh, and of course, they were African-Americans celebrating Juneteenth. Do you know what that's a celebration of? Well, it's a celebration of the fact that on June the 19th of 1865, slaves in Galveston, Texas became the last people to learn of their newfound freedom when Union soldiers um, entered Galveston and informed the people, the citizens of the city, of the Emancipation Proclamation. That was two and a half years after Abraham Lincoln had announced the Emancipation Proclamation. Um, so these, these Juneteenth celebrations so endemic to the to the black community is a celebration of hearing the last the last people to hear of the emancipation proclamation gang uh, it was on january the 1st of 1963 excuse me of 1863 where abraham lincoln announced the emancipation proclamation setting slaves free it did not become law until december the 18th 1865 it wasn't written into the Constitution until then. By that time, Lincoln was dead, the war was over, and the slaves had been set free. Um, but, the, but the information seeped out of D.C. down into Virginia and then to North Carolina and over to Georgia, and, and it just kind of crept very slowly. In the Shelby Foot, that monumental epic, I don't know if you saw this, his Civil War thing, 
There is a little piece in that Shelby Foote um, documentary about the Civil War where he is, uh, he had interviewed, I, I guess he got this from, from uh, some kind of written source, but um, he is interviewing a African slave. Here's what, it's, what it says. The Negro, locked in a caste system of race etiquette as rigid as any he had known in formal bondage. Every slave could repeat with equal validity what an Alabama slave had said in 1864 when asked what he thought of the great emancipator whose proclamation went into effect that year. Here was his reply, this black slave. I don't know nothing about Abraham Lincoln, except they say he sought us free. And I don't know nothing about that neither. You know why it's so hard? Do you know why it takes so long? Because we don't know very much about our liberator. And we don't know very much about the liberty that the liberator gave us. Gang, the way that your gospel transforms lives is to preach it to yourself. You keep on preaching the gospel to yourself. Our Father, I pray that um, in your providence, for whatever reason, you uh, put a halt to communion so that we could do this. And I pray that you have owned it, that you have used it, that you have blessed it, um, that you have done things that I would have never dreamed. Because for whatever your reasons are, Lord, you stopped us. And, and so we trust that it is your kind providence that has accomplished this. So, Father, um, from now on, might this group of precious brothers and sisters in Christ learn to more and more about the beauty of being set free, of being in union with a whole new husband, one with eternal wealth, eternal wisdom, eternal resources. The life that we used to live is so ugly when we think of being married to Him. Use that, Father, to set us free. We ask it in Jesus' name.